Okay, here we go. Welcome to What the F is Going On in Latin America, Code Pink's weekly YouTube program of hot news out of Latin America and the Caribbean. In partnership with Friends of Latin America and Task Force on the Americas, we broadcast every Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Last month, Progressive International received a letter from Brazil's Articulation of Indigenous Peoples calling for solidarity in their luta pela vida, their struggle for life, and requesting a delegation to travel to Brazil to witness Bolsonaro's assault on Indigenous people and the environment. Over the past 10 days, the delegation met with an incredible range of political actors in Brazil. Indigenous leaders from the APIB, oh, I hope I say this correct to all of you, Quilombola representatives of the Cordinacao National de Articulacao de Quilombos, C-O-N-A-Q, members of Congress from parties such as the PT, PSOL, PSB, and others local and state government representatives from PARA, trade unions and social movements, including the MST, MTST, and CUT, as well as members of the Panamazonic Social Forum, environmental groups, and civil society actors. Joining us in conversation today is Nick Estes, who just returned to the U.S. from Brazil. In fact, um, earlier this afternoon, he just returned. Um, Nick participated on the Progressive International uh, de Emergency Delegation. He is a journalist, historian, and host of the Red Nation podcast. Welcome, Nick. It's good to be with you again, Terry. How are you? I'm I'm really great, and I'm so I'm so honored that you um, are willing to um, make time. I know you just got off a plane at noontime today, so it's really wonderful to to um, have you with us this evening. And I wonder if we can start um, with you sharing with the audience a little bit of your personal story, because. Um, you, who you are and what you are is so crucial to the story we're going to talk about this evening. Sure. I mean, it's an excellent place to start um, because a lot of the things that my people experienced um, in the 19th and 20th century is being experienced right now in Brazil. And I was born and raised in the Missouri River in a place called Chamberlain, South Dakota, which is a border town. It's a, a white dominated uh, settlement that rings, you know, the Indian re reservations, um, most often in rural, rural places. I'm uh, an enrolled member of the Lower Rural Sioux Tribe. And so in the 1950s and 1960s, the United States began a mass infrastructure development project to develop the Missouri River. And uh, as a result, um, they installed uh, five earth enrolled dams um, that affected uh, Sioux tribes or Lakota and Dakota tribes, as well as the Mandan Hidatsa Nation in Fort Berthold, which is in uh, North Dakota. Um, but the Pick Sloan plan, the Pick Sloan project actually removed um, about a third of the, uh, um, the populations of the river tribes and my tribe was included in that. And my tribe actually had two uh, dams built uh, on it and we were flooded twice and removed twice. Um, and we lived semi a subsistence lifestyle in the 1950s so you could drink out of the water you you know there was gardens there's community gardens um farming uh small small scale agriculture a little bit of ranching and herding uh, but then also there were just the free goods of nature as they as they say um in terms of harvesting wild fruits uh and hunting uh 
and things of that nature. And as a result, you know, they, they wiped out uh, 75% of the wild game and 75% of the wild vegetation that we depended on. So it was really an attack on our food. Um, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because this is what uh, indigenous people and traditional communities in Brazil are facing right now. This is uh, a battle for food. It's a battle for how uh, nations, you know, eat and reproduce themselves and what nations consume uh, products that are produced for them at the expense of others. And our lands in, in uh, what we call the Ocheti Shakoi uh, country were sacrificed to build hydroelectric dams um, for the benefit of others. And then also um, were sacrificed uh, to build uh, irrigation, which never came, but nonetheless, so it was, it was electricity and farming um, were the reasons why they, they dammed our river. And it, you know, it constituted a huge um, kind of a historical uh, trauma for, for our people that carried on through generations. But it's also important to remember, you know, I'm one, I'm one generation removed from an almost subsistence lifestyle. That's how early it was. It didn't, these like 19th century Indian wars and land grabs, you know, it didn't just happen a hundred years ago. It happened, you know, 60 to 70 years ago and it's still ongoing today. And so there's so many similarities. Um, and even with the mobilizations against the pipelines in 2016, we had a mass mobilization in Standing Rock, which brought together over 300 different tribal nations uh, in an encampment that was about 10,000 people. Um, and today, you know, we have, and I know Code Pink has some people who, who have uh, done solidarity. Uh, Red Nation has done solidarity with uh, the, the Line 3 uh, encampments up in Northern Minnesota with the Anishinaabe people. Um, so today, you know, indigenous people in the United States are still resisting land grabs. They're still resisting uh, large infrastructure pro uh, projects um, that are ostensibly for the public good, but we know that this is really just feeding into kind of um, this, the, the profit motive for uh, fossil fuel companies and energy companies like Enbridge and uh, TransCanada. So um, that's, that's kind of the short brief history of who, who I am and where I come from. I think it's so important for our audience to hear this because you know, we're talking about a model, a cultural and economic and political model that privatizes what you and your people would consider belongs to the earth and does not belong to human beings, period. And we're seeing this all over Latin America. And as you said, it's not just something from 100, 200, 300 years ago. It's, it's a model that still exists to this day in the United States. And also, I think uh, I, probably the story so many of our viewers are are familiar with when you mentioned um, hydroelectric controlling water, damming water would be Berta Cáceres situation in, mm -hmm. in Honduras with the Lenca people there. But these um, abuses and privatization and control of the environment, natural resources and people is one of, or, or some of the reasons why um, the act, so many activists in Brazil had requested this progressive international delegation. Can you tell us very quickly, what is progressive international? Because you are part of that as well as Red Nation and many other activist <laughs> groups. Yeah, so the progressive international um, is a network of trade unions, progressive parties uh, and social movements um, who's been recently doing, you know, a lot of uh, solidarity work from things such as 
uh, doing ele election observations and doing, uh, you know, political delegations to meet with social movements or to, you know, in this case, um, sort of investigate and see on the ground what is happening in this in this situation, especially under Bolsonaro. So let's, this was a 10 day delegation. It just finished like yesterday. You flew back to the States today. Let's talk about the delegation. I know um, one of the reasons I specifically reached out to you to talk with us this evening is because of this um, genocide suit that indigenous peoples of Brazil filed at The Hague against the Bolsonaro um, government. And this is particularly fascinating to me. My, my um, activism started in the 80s in Guatemala um, with, you know, with the genocide of the Maya people there. And they achieved genocide as a nation of people achieved genocide status in 2005, which allowed them to, um, you know, to start changing Guatemala, it's, you know, still very difficult and still very slow. But so let's talk a little bit about um, the, the delegation, what you saw, and, um, and then also the, this um, genocide suit filed. Sure. Um, I'll start with the genocide suit. So a PB, which is the, um, the group, the APIB, uh, in in uh, Portuguese, they say APV, uh, which is interesting. <laughs> but um, they so they it's really filed, hard for me to say the Portuguese. Yeah. I apologize. And then, and then C like C U T or the 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 union is Kuchi. So it's yeah. yeah, it's a bunch of different things. Um, so this genocide lawsuit was filed uh, at the Hague on August 9th, so this month, and they're calling it um, the Indigenous August, uh, and there was also like an Indigenous April. As well, there were, you know, so this has been an ongoing kind of series of uprisings and social mobilizations against the Bolsonaro government. Um, and it's important to say that a lot of the things that they're protesting and challenging, you know, aren't unique to Bolsonaro per se. They've just been intensified, and it was made very clear by the organizers, um, you know, that people such as Sonia Guachajara, uh, as well as Alessandra Munduruku, that this was not. Um, that this particular moment in time is unprecedented. The levels of attack and the levels of, you know, violence against indigenous people haven't been seen, you know, since the, the years of the dictatorship. And um, we can see, uh, you know, uh, Bolsonaro himself references the dictatorship as an inspiration, not just, you know, uh, as a form of political rule, but an attitude towards indigenous people. Um, and so there's, there's three components of, this uh, genocide lawsuit, as far as I understand it. And one is, you know, um, just the, a, a listing of the abuses uh, by the Bolsonaro government, you know, which includes <clears throat> the, uh, the destruction of public infrastructure to guarantee indigenous people, you know, social and environmental rights to territory. And this happens through anything from administrative acts to uh, norms or speeches, you know, he's very famous uh, for saying very racist things towards indigenous people, um, meetings and projects, um, and, you know, that, that are just directed towards indigenous people and singling them out specifically. And the consequences of these things, the second part, you know, is the invasion and dispossession of indigenous lands. It's primarily deforestation in the Amazon. Um, and this, you know, this is for mining, this is for agribusiness. Uh, these two sectors um, are very powerful in Brazilian pro uh, politics, and they're pushing, you know, uh, people like, you know, Bolsonaro and others 
uh, essentially to to carry out um, you know to use the state as as the handmaiden of capital you know so to say um, but basically to open these places up or to turn a blind eye because not all, not the state sometimes may be involved directly in the clearing out of an area or a territory and other times they'll just not pay attention uh, and turn a blind eye but the policy the kind of indirect or the the informal policy so to speak um, is what they call the bala la biblia and and the boy which is like the bullet the bible and the bull or the cow so sounds like under, the conquistadors from 500 <laughs> years ago I mean, exactly and they are drawing specifically like there's no ambiguity about this on the tradition of violent settler colonialism in the united states because they are arming uh, everyday people. Uh, many of them are poor, you know, uh, landless folks themselves. They're arming them uh, in the service of, you know, large landowners and agribusiness. Um, so there has been an increase. So 50% of the population is armed, but it's not just uh, the increase in guns, um, but it's the increase in am ammunition and making ammunition uh, more available. And of course, the ideological underpinning of a lot of this is the Bible. The evangelical movement is very strong uh, in Brazil, uh, and specifically, uh, kind of the the um, sort of the vanguard of a lot of these settlement projects. Um, oftentimes, you'll see a um, you know a little settlement in the middle of nowhere, but there'll be a giant church right with makeshift shacks around it, and it'll be a it'll be a evangelical church, uh, and of course the bull um, or the the cow, uh, the the cattle industry is very huge and very powerful in Brazil. And it's kind of a self-serving mechanism um, in one in, in two ways. One is that, you know, there's the cattle industry and just, you know, putting cows out on the land, but to do so you have to clear uh, large swaths of forest um, to do that, but also creating the feed for that cattle. Um, so a lot of the soy that's grown uh, on this deforested land by uh, corporations such as Cargill is exported um, to places like the United States and Europe. Uh, to be, uh, you know, turned into to, to feed, basically to feed cattle uh, here, right? And, you know, Cargill is, Cargill kept coming up in, in a lot of our conversations. And I can, I can talk a little bit more about that, but that, that's kind of the, the, the sort of three areas, um, the three lines of attack that the Bolsonaro government is using, not just against indigenous people, um, but all kinds of people. So it's, it's important to note that in places like the Amazon, 68% of the population is black. Um, so you have a, a large black rural population with the Quilombolas. You also have um, the Ribbing Heroes. I, I'm mispronouncing E. It's the He Being Heroes. I can't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But it's, <laughs> I didn't say it correctly either. <laughs> when people say Spanish and Portuguese are similar, it's I, I can't, it's, it's not true. No. Maybe for a non, a non like a native speaker of Spanish, but. Uh, it's the river people. Um, so there, there are other like, you know, uh, traditional communities um, that are tied to territory and are very much grounded um, and integrated within other, you know, indigenous communities or they themselves have, in, you know, a mixture of indigenous ancestry um, and claim a little bit of, you know, indigeneity as part of their experience, but um, that they are also under attack. And I think that's important to bring up because at the, at the, the front line, so to speak, is the indigenous people, but then also it includes other, you know, other people. And then the final, you know, the final point on that is just to say that 
the COVID-19 uh, pandemic in, in Brazil has been devastating. There's been over, I think the last count was like 600,000 um, deaths, um, which is, it's unprecedented, you know, and they, when we arrived, um, they were, the, they were coming off that surge and it has uh, very much impacted indigenous communities. Many of them are um, isolated by choice. They, they isolate by choice, but because of the influx of uh, miners, loggers, um, as well as uh, farmers, um, they are introduced to the disease. And obviously they're the last to be served when it comes to public health and everything like that. So that was another issue, or that was another aspect of this, um, this uh, charge of genocide. And I think that that uh, genocide um, charge at The Hague, it encompasses a lot of the things that we saw uh, on the ground when we were there. Well, in the, in the, in, for indigenous people, when the, the term genocide doesn't just refer to human beings, it re refers to genocide of the earth too, right. which we, we term, you know, ecocide, but it's genocide, it's genocide on all, all living things. Yeah, and it's, it's important to actually define, you know, to look at the, the legal, the international legal definition of genocide because genocide doesn't always involve the act of killing. Like it does not mean like some, you're just sending Calvary people out to annihilate people. It also means, um, you know, um, imposing, you know, certain measures to, to stop the, the growth of that, that, that population. And it also means attacking food sources in some instances. Yeah. So I think that it is important to note that this isn't just a, an anthro, you know, centric process that it also entails when you destroy the land, you also destroy the people. Yeah, we starve them. Exactly. I mean, you could make the argument that's what unilateral coercive measures are used for, or what a lot of us say sanctions. It's, yeah, the second. Uh, so there's a couple things you mentioned that I just kind of want to um, re-emphasize. You mentioned um, destruction of public infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned Cargill, which makes me just automatically think destruction of public infrastructure uh, and pushing privatization and not just privatization, but privatization for transnational corporations around the planet and especially in the global south. And that's kind of, I would say that's the framework or that's Bolsonaro's main mission is to help make that happen. Let's talk about the political context of Brazil right now, because this is part of what the Progressive International Delegation was there to investigate and observe as well. Sure. The, you know, this, it goes without saying that somebody like Jair Bolsonaro um, is the result of a, a kind of global trend of right-wing authoritarianism and neo-fascism. Um, you know, the, the Brazilian right um, sees itself very much connected and influenced by uh, the, um, the right wing in the United States and Trumpism specifically. In fact, the week before I came, I went on this delegation, uh, Jair Bolsonaro's son, uh, Eduardo Bolsonaro, was speaking in my home territory um, oh. for this, uh, this event about how, uh, it was by Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy. And he was, you know, it was about the, the elections and how Trump lost the elections. But Eduardo Bolsonaro was there, you know, talking about how um, if Bolsonaro if his father loses the election next October, not in 2022, that it's probably going to be the fault of uh, these these voting machines, much like they stole the election <laughs> from Trump. But also, it was also said at that conference that 
you know, and this is this is South Dakota, right? This is where I'm from. It, it, it's it's not a very populated state, and it was going on at the same time as the bike, biker rally, where you know almost three quarters of a million people descended on the state, not wearing mm -hmm. masks, avoid you know ignoring any kind of social distancing. Um, this is the annual biker rally in Sturgis. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And so mm -hmm. he, this, he, he, was, he wasn't speaking at the rally, but it was during the event, you know, it was during that whole kind of hoopla. Yeah. And they said, you know, that Lula is the most dangerous leftist on the planet. Um, <laughs> and because he, he could defeat, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Bolsonaro and it's expected that he will. I mean, Bolsonaro isn't, isn't polling very well. Um, he's, you know, he's lost a lot of his base of support because of the pandemic, but also because he's not really doing anything. He's kind of ruling by decree. Um, and so there's there's a similar kind of sense of a attack on um, or mobilizing the right to attack certain institutions. So on September 7th, which is, which is Independence Day in uh, Brazil, I believe, um, they are planning a mobilization um, to invade the Congress, the Brazilian Congress, uh, to invade um, the Supreme Court, which has been battling the, the decrees by the Bolsonaro government and the actions by the Bolsonaro government. Uh, and you have, you know, conservative and liberal judges on this, on the Supreme Court. Um, and also the, the invasion of the Chinese embassy. Um, and we can see, you know, this, this uh, xenophobia towards China. You know, it's not just a kind of personal um, animosity towards, uh, you know, people of Chinese descent or Asian people in general. But it's an attack on, um, you know, the, the project that Lula and others had set in motion to sort of delink themselves from the U.S. economy and begin trade relations with China. Right. So the kind of geopolitical maneuvering um, that's going on there, but then also the attack on Congress, because they have been systematically harassing and haranguing members of the Workers' Party, which is the main kind of left force, the largest left force in the Brazilian Congress. Uh, and you know, among social movements, uh, because they represent a primary threat, but also attacking other, you know, leftist tendencies like the the PSOL, um, which is aligned you know, somewhat with PT in this particular the Workers Party in this moment. Um, so you have this polarization, much like we saw in the United States. Um, and so amidst this historic up this historic mobilization, where you have six thousand indigenous people, you know, on their national mall. Uh, which is not called the National Mall, but it's similar to the United States. Mm -hmm. Historic, there's never, there hasn't been, as I was told, and I don't know if this is true, but I was told that it was the largest encampment, protest encampment uh, in recent history uh, mm -hmm. of, you know, not just of indigenous people, but in general. Mm -hmm. So you have this mass mobilization um, and the right is going to come back, you know, swinging uh, and, and trying to set the stage that the game is rigged against their candidate of choice. So this is a this is a long game that they're playing, and it there are. But so they've started stakes. the narrative now, exactly. as you said, in South Dakota. Exactly. They've already started the narrative about the the voting machines. So and so they're they're going international with their movement, and we have to be international with ours, and we have mm -hmm. to understand that this mode of uh, capitalist accumulation and dispossession on on the so called frontier that's what they call it down there, the frontera. The uh, they're pushing, you know, that's called the Marco Temporal, the the kind of, um, I don't know how to translate it in English, but it's like a, a, a the territories that define, or excuse me, the way that the constitution defines indigenous territories. When the constitution was written in 1988, 
it kind of set those in stone. Um, but it's and it's now the the now the move now with uh, laws and measures is to like push those territories back into essentially dispossess indigenous people. Um, and that move is going hand in hand with the attempts by agribusiness and being pushed, or I don't know if it's being pushed necessarily, but it's definitely benefiting multinational corporations like Cargill, um, who operates out of Minnesota and has this very, you know, family friendly face to it. You know, the, the CEO was talking about how they were undoing racial discrimination within their their corporate, their corporate culture by having workshops about being woke and white fragility and whatever it was, you know, that they were talking about. But fundamentally, Cargill is anti-Black and anti-Indigenous because it is, it is the primary economic mode, uh, a motor of dispossession of the Amazon, right? And it knows this, it's building these massive ports. It's, it's trying to get as much done that it can under, under um, Bolsonaro because it knows that there's going to be, you no, know, it's going to swing left again because people are pushing back and fighting back. And so that's sort of the, the way that I, I was told the, the political situation is playing out right now on the ground in Brazil. So I, I just want to share with you a couple of comments in our chat because I, I think you should you should hear some of this. It's okay. what you have. Um, this is from Love and from Love Indigenous. Oh, I just lost. Hello, somebody. Uh, hello from Cheyenne. Wyoming. Is that what I saw? Cheyenne River, Lakota Lens. Oh, nice. South Dakota. And then uh, from Anna Paula Vargas, she's just, mm -hmm. um, just confirming what you just said. This was the largest camp in mobilization since 1988 when the Brazilian constitution was approved. Exactly. So, so let's, um, we've got a few minutes left. I'm so happy to see um, how many people have joined us this evening because um, this is such an important, um, such an important um, story to be sharing with everyone. And, and as you shared with me, Nick, before we went live, it, it's not something we're hearing much at all about in, in the US media, Western media in general. So, but of course, Bolsonaro's you know, reflective of, of the model the US wants to perpetuate across the globe. So um, let's talk a little bit about in our last few minutes, um, the progressive international delegation, specifically the itinerary, where you know, just so yes. our viewers have a um, have an idea of you know where you went and who you met with, and sure, it was yeah, a so, fascinating trip. Yeah, and I think um, after I do that, I'll, I'll maybe talk a little bit about what we hope the outcomes are of this trip, perfect, based on the, the people we talked to. So we witnessed the the catastrophe that PV warned us about. Um, when it comes to the violent dispossession of indigenous Quilombola and traditional communities, the assassination of their leaders, um, and the intensification of extraction of their wealth. Um, and we, we started our delegation in Brasilia, which is the, the capital of Brazil. Um, we met with the Landless Workers Movement or the MTST uh, and, talk, and went to one of their encampments and we had food, uh, we ate with, um, at one of their free kitchens that they had and learned about what was going on um, there. They call uh, Brasilia the inequality capital of Brazil, which is very true. Um, and then we convened with uh, top members of Congress, uh, specifically uh, from the opposition, to hear uh, their grave concerns about you know, Bolsonaro's frontal assault on democracy and his desire to hold power by any means necessary. And then we traveled to the state of Pará, 
um, which is at the delta of, uh, south of the delta of uh, the Amazon River, where it empties into the Atlantic Ocean. And we sat, uh, one night we sat with uh, about a hundred or actually several hundred uh, community leaders until late in the evening. Um, the, the local power supply that was once national was recently privatized. And so they were going through waves of blackout. So it was incredibly hot because there's no air conditioning. Um, but we heard their, their stories of pain, anger, and resistance. We also listened to their songs and poetry. Um, and we talked about, you know, the violent targeting of their lands and lives. And then the next day we traveled uh, deep into the Amazon and met with um, Quilombola and traditional communities living along the river who talked about the levels of mercury uh, that they're finding in their waters and the devastation of their lands. And then we joined, we, we returned to Brasilia and, and joined uh, the Munduruku and the Kayapo and many other indigenous groups in their, in their act at the Luta Pela Vida uh, resistance camp um, in, in, the, in the capital. And we talked about, you know, the Line 3 pipeline and how we can support them as, as an international delegation. Um, and so one of the, you know, one of the things that we're looking into, we're going to, we're asking members of Congress to look into why uh, William Burns uh, was, or what William Burns' meeting, that, who is the director of the CIA, what his meeting with Bolsonaro was, because we know that the CIA played a role in the Lava Jato, which uh, led to the coup of Dilma uh, and the election of Bolsonaro. Um, we're also calling for further uh, investigations into uh, genocide of uh, indigenous and Quilombolo communities and calling on multinational, uh, calling for an investigation, a congressional investigation on multinational corporations um, such as uh, Cargill and their role in uh, you know, driving this violence uh, on the land. And then finally, uh, we made a commitment to return in October of 2020 to observe the elections. So that was this kind of a synopsis. Excuse me. 2022. <laughs> no, 2022. Okay. <laughs> 2022. 2022. Excellent. Um, I have a few more hellos I want to share with you. Sure. Um, here's Adam just hopped on, tuning in from Tewa and Tiwa lands. Am I saying mm -hmm. that correctly? Tewa and Tiwa. And greetings from the children of Sun Island, Salash, Spokane tribal territory. So, awesome. yeah. Um, Let's talk about what, what would you personally and also um, the Progressive International Delegation proper, what, um, what can you suggest we as activists do to follow up on, on your delegation findings? What do you need us to do and how can we do it? So um, we issued a sort of final statement on the delegation and I can share it with you and you can share it with others. Um, uh, we have uh, several action items, but I think, you know, the biggest, um, the biggest way that we can uh, kind of make, uh, amplify these voices is to go to the uh, PB website and read uh, their documents on genocide, which is A-P-I-B official, which is O-F-I-C-I-A-L dot O-R-G. Um, where they have all the information that you need and they have their calls to action and how you can support indigenous people. But also I think we need to look um, at, at how, what role the United States plays in, in all of this and especially the corporations and uh, our consumption because this is an imperialist relation. Uh, in, you know, the, 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 the economics of imperialism are driving this deforestation. So we do, it's not just a national project of uh, the Bolsonaro government, 
but it's also the United States is directly benefiting from this and as well as European nations, because we are a, a beef consuming nation, right? And it's not just about making, you know, I, I respect people who are vegans about, it's, it's not just about making personal choices, which are good um, to, you know, to avoid these products, but it's also um, investigating the supply chains and yeah. regulating them and also calling for a different mode of, of how we eat and, the, and consume in this country, because right now it's not sustainable. It's literally destroying, it's burning up the lungs of the planet in the Amazon. And the final thing too, and this is a, this is a request that I had by the landless workers movement um, when I when I had a meeting with them. Um, we need to investigate how pensions in the United States are are being invested in in land privatization in Brazil. And I just did a quick Google search, wow. yeah. and you will see it, it brought up so much. So this is something that you know there are so many fronts, um, and we owe it to our brothers and sisters our relatives, our comrades who are on the front lines, whether they're part of the social movements, whether they're part of the opposition parties, whether they're indigenous Quilombolo communities, we owe it to them uh, because we, we play a huge role in this. Uh, and we may not see it, but you know where we get our cheeseburgers, where we get our food um, directly impacts uh, the Amazon. And it's up to us to make those decisions and to transform this social system here that we we have control of in the United States or ostensibly have control over um, to pressure certain people, individuals and institutions, uh, but also to to build an alternative um, that this that our way of life doesn't have to be predatory or parasitic on others. That is so true. I, I, I have to say I um, I was in South America, quite a number of countries earlier this year. And I remember uh, talking with um, a person who um, used to work in the, in the United States, not a US citizen, was back home. And he said, you know, in order for you, you know, me as a US citizen, you to have the life you have the consumer products you have, the diet you have, as you mentioned with the beef cattle, for you to stay wealthy with consumer products and food products, we have to remain poor. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this from somebody, a friend, personal friend who had spent years um, in the United States with a high education and you know, to sit over a beer and hear that come back, you know, in a, you know, in a, in a non-aggressive manner, but to hear that reality, that for you to have what you have, I mean, you, Terry, and your fellow U.S. citizens, we have to remain poor. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the entire global South and, for basically the last 500 years. And this is a food, this is a food rich country. There's so much food that comes from the Amazon um, that's, you know, uh, created locally and produced locally within Brazil. Um, but why are people starving? You know, why are people exactly. going hungry? Yeah. And that's that's the question. Yeah. This is the dynamics of imperialism. We have a role to play in that. And so, yeah. you know, we, we have to own up to a responsibility um, because there are so many beautiful alternatives to uh, that kind of extractive project going on, you know, on the ground, whether it's the MST, the MTST, the indigenous mobilizations, the Quilombolas, they, they, they are very inspirational. Like the movements are very powerful and strong. Their leaders are amazing. And we have so much to learn from them. 
um, and they have they have the, the alternative and so it's our job to support them and to ensure that they have a fair and democratic process um, because we we know that the CIA has in, has you know the US has has inserted itself in their democratic process so let's uh, is there anything that um, that you'd like to say before I let you go this evening anything that I've missed or that you want to reiterate or I would just like to say that being in um, Luta Pela Vida was life altering for me. It was, I don't know how to put it into words. It was, it was very, not only was it like a spiritual experience, but it was very like empowering to see all the different groups of indigenous people come together. And they're very diverse, much like the United States. They're very diverse in their language, their culture, their customs. Um, the, you know, the things that they wear, everything, you know, the, the, the way that they carry themselves. Um, and it was just, it was just a reminder that there's so much at stake in this moment in time that we can't really be, uh, you know, hostages to a politics of cynicism. That here you have the most, you know, one of the most impressed groups, uh, sectors of society and Brazilian society that traveled days and mobilized, right? Because they have an alternative. They have you know, they're, and they're, it's not just an exclusive thing for indigenous people, but they understand the role that they play in this broader movement. Uh, and, to, and for me, like, you know, we're in this moment where there seems to be like um, a lack of uh, mobilization on the ground uh, under Biden. People may be fatigued because of the pandemic and four years of Trump. But, you know, there are movements that are going on right now that are historic and, and very revolutionary. And you know, we, we need to pull ourselves out of that kind of that, that politics of cynicism and pessimism and really look at the very positive social movements that are underway right now, especially coming from the South, because we have so much to learn from them. And especially their collective power, and their disciplined nature are just so mind blowing. It's, it's beautiful. It's very, um, I mean, it's really inspiring to hear you say this, because this is Part of who you are as a person yeah. as well your family your family heritage and so for you to be inspired is very powerful for me to hear i am i see what indigenous um, nations people are doing across the planet and including in the united states and i i guess for me it's really powerful to see the difference and important to understand the difference um, among a nation of people who see themselves as integrated with nature, as part of the web of the entire earth versus being in a paradigm where um, human beings rule over everything. And it's just, to me, that is, uh, that uh, is a paradigm that is, that is basically going to prove to be the vanguard of humanity. We either accept that we're part and, you know, not the, the rulers over everything on the planet, but we're part of the entire web. And um, yeah, it, and I, I just, I don't know how to, how to teach people that except to have someone like you come back and talk with us and inspire everyone to take a, you know, a different, a different look and um and start an evolutionary process of changing systems mm -hmm. changing systems yeah and starting with our own system um in the united states so so thank you nick really wonderful to see you 
I'm so thankful for your time this evening. And I, I want to just remind our, our viewers that you've been watching What the F is Going On in Latin America, Code Pink's weekly YouTube program of hot news out of Latin America and the Caribbean. We broadcast every Wednesday on Code Pink YouTube Live, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And also be sure to catch um, Code Pink Radio every Thursday morning, 11 a.m. Um, Eastern, 8.30 a.m. or 11, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, excuse me, on um, WBAI radio out of New York City and simulcasting on WPFW out of Washington, D.C. And uh, so thanks again, Nick. I'd love to have you come back and talk with us and keep this conversation going and, and um, connect the dots for all of us throughout Latin America and the Caribbean because um, it's particularly egregious uh, now in Brazil, but this is something that is happening pretty much everywhere. Pretty Absolutely. much everywhere. So, so okay, so much, everyone. Terry. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate your time this evening. Thanks so much.